0: Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
1: Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli.
0: I'm Mats
2: Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Winka. I'm Layton Hewitt. This is Yannick Noah. This is Stephen Malloy from County Clare in Ireland. And you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. <laughs>
1: Hello to all our tennis podcast listeners, and hello in particular to Stephen Malloy, who you heard there in our intro—a classic of the genre intro. I would describe that as Stephen with it, with an extra bit of Irish flavour. Which is uh, the, those soothing sounds are very much appreciated on a podcast recording morning when David and I have already had a row. Um, David, I'll give you a moment
2: to just seethe. Matt, how are you feeling? really rather tense you two were (laughs) fine and then literally five minutes before we started a row broke out and David's not quite been able to look the zoom camera in the
3: eye ever since Yep. Mm.
1: how you doing David nice to see you this fine morning
3: it's lovely to see you too Catherine I wish we were in the same room um but in the absence of that, that um it's no, didn't it? <laughs> it's a delight to see you across the uh the 100 miles between us. Um and uh, yes, I I am always happy to hear from Stephen because um he invented the SMDS which uh, if you don't remember is the Stephen malloy Dennis Shapovalov scale of uh, of reactions. Why is it not
2: the SMDSS?
1: Yes.
3: Okay, Matt, that was too much for me. I don't know why it's not that, but I'll work on it for next time.
1: <laughs> this is like when people say um, ATM machine, isn't it? The M is machine.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'll mm. work on it, folks. Anyway, St- yeah, Stephen's the bloke who said that you react to Denis Shapovalov's matches with, this guy's amazing, Grand Slam coming very soon. Uh, second one is, why can't he put the ball in court? In brackets, sobbing. Uh, third one is he's a fighter. This kid, gritty. All <laughs> aboard the night train. Hoot hoot. <laughs> and fourth one is, <sighs> mm.
1: I can't remember the the last time I said I all thought Grand Slam titles are coming. I thought you were
2: going to say all aboard the night train.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think I have regrettably thought that more recently than uh, than Grand Slam titles are coming. But but as always, I hope to be proven wrong.
3: He's taken a selfie in Barcelona where he's been working very hard with Mikhail Yushni. So um, maybe maybe the the new wave of Denis Shafalov starts here.
1: Maybe, maybe. Uh, Yes, he's playing in Barcelona. They've got a great field in Barcelona this week. We'll be previewing that. Uh, Other events happening. The WTA 500 event in Stuttgart uh, gets underway today as we record on Monday. Uh, But first of all, we'll be looking back on... Monte Carlo and a maiden ATP Masters 1000 title for Stefanos Tsitsipas and a doubles title for Matej Pavic and Nikola Mektic, the Croatian pairing. I had a moment there where uh, I was, uh, who's who's he with now? Uh, Bruno Suarez popped into my head, but of course, that's, that's oh so 2020. Um, yeah. Stefano Sittipas, a maiden ATP Masters 1000 champion and how in Monte Carlo, he pretty much bulldozed his way through the week. I mean, with the benefit of hindsight, looking back through his run, it felt like that title was was always his. I know that's easy to say with, with Djokovic and Nadal taken out of the field and we'll come on to talk about that. But the way he won that title and imposed himself on Monte Carlo last week, it just felt like he grabbed it and said, this one is mine and i'm mm. not letting anyone take it from me i'm going to show you why why i am living up to my potential and i'm going to shut down those conversations about you know not not quite coming along in the way that in the way that people perhaps predicted at the start of this year
3: Mm. it it was another level from him I think to what we've seen before I I don't mean just in sort of snapshot mode where he comes up with a shot that we haven't seen before just in his like as if his floor is raised and uh, he, he played more like kind of one of the big three almost in the way he carried himself and and I think the reason you don't pick him at the start of the tournament is because Nadal is in the field because Djokovic is in the field and you've got all that history so why would you pick anybody else really
1: and because by his own admission he self-exploded at, at his last yeah. his last Masters 1000 when he was the top seed left in
3: yeah true uh, and at the time he he kept on talking about how much it would mean to him to grab one of those titles and when he did lose in Miami he was just gutted about it he was it's What I love about him is how much it means, both in defeat and in victory. It's never just a a shrug of the shoulders. Now, I, I love Medvedev because he's embraced a kind of don't-care celebration, when obviously we know he does care, it's just his trademark. With Tsitsipas, whatever you see is how he's feeling. And his celebration on getting that title against Rublev in the final was, was like... Like he'd won a Grand Slam title in front of a full crowd, and here was a deserted Monte Carlo uh with with Sidzipas on his knees in victory, almost sobbing on the shoulders of his of his family's shoulders and and his dad. I mean his dad was just overcome with emotion as well on the side. And it was I I loved that really. I know There's an awkwardness about Stefanos Tsitsipas in in a lot of his speeches, and frankly there was in this one, because he doesn't seem to know how to put punctuation into them. He, He just sort of talks with commas rather than any full stops, so there's nowhere for the crowd that wasn't there to cheer. But in the moment of actual victory when he went over to his family, I found it so touching, because he is showing you everything that sporting success should be about right there. And his
1: his mum had been a champion at the Monte Carlo Country Club. I think she was representing uh, the Soviet Union at the time. So the name Julia or perhaps Yulia Sergeyevna Sergeyevna Um, she later became Julia Apostoli. Um, But her name is engraved as Stefanos is is now on the walls of the Monte Carlo Country Club, which is a, a lovely touch to the story.
2: Yeah, I loved seeing that. I loved seeing his reaction. I like the fact that he thanked the photographers in his speech for providing some atmosphere with their shutter
1: clicks. (laughs) (laughs) So Sitsipass, that, isn't it? That
2: was good. If we we talked in the last podcast about kind of the worst of Sitsipass, I think by the end of the tournament, we really saw the best of Stefanos Sitsipass in Monte Carlo. And I think it was exactly, as you said, really significant that, Perhaps for the first time here, he's won a, a title that was a, a direct goal of his. I think with Pass, some of his breakthroughs in 2019 came as a little bit of a surprise. No one was picking him to get to the semis of the Australian Open when he did, beating Federer. Probably not many people were picking him to win the ATP finals at the end of that season, considering who was in the draw. And yet it's felt like he probably should be a Masters 1000 champion for a while. And it, it does feel like a monkey off the back and something he's worked towards and achieved. And I think it was that satisfaction that we really saw come out of him at the end of the match against Rublev. And yeah, I mean, his tennis on clay is, is really, really impressive. The extra time he gets on the ball just, just helps him so much he can hit such aggressive shots with such margin for error he he really does look the business on clay Um, and he's got this incredible consistency this season he's number one in the race now he's reached the quarterfinals of every single event he's played this year at least and now and now he's got this first masters 1000 title he's he's in a very very good place with his tennis i think
1: I had forgotten a little bit just how good he is on clay. I think David, you said in the last podcast, it just makes sense to me. You see him on clay. No, that was Matt. That was Matt actually, oh.
3: and 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 he was. <laughs> Sorry, it, it, but it was the the. Then I went and watched him, uh, the next match, and and could see what you meant really by the sort of I've always been taken by the cover that's on Mm. his shots when he hits hard there's that little extra bit of natural topspin and loop on his ground strokes which makes them safe I've always thought so and at times you can watch him and think well how does he lose matches and I know that Dan Evans kind of thinks that about him, that, I mean, he lost to him, what, six two six one, and he's the one he just can't get anywhere close to. He's lost three in straight sets against him. And he said when he played him on hard court in Dubai, he's, it's as though he's never played anything like that before. Um, but the movements there, this, this power off both sides, there's an intent in every shot. I mean, there's a, he doesn't just rally for the sake of rallying. He is looking to, to open the court up with every stroke and hurt you. Um, but I, I, I kind of agree with you, though, that it feels almost like maybe clay might even be his best service because of the the time he's got to line his shots up and, and paint pictures on the court.
1: He thinks it is, doesn't he? He said that in his his speech yesterday. He certainly said it's my favourite surface, which I imagine for him also means best surface because he's so goal orientated, isn't he? Mm. Um, yeah, it's it's that time, isn't it? It's the time he can do what he wants with the return position. He, he doesn't. It doesn't look to me like he's sort of. Oh, he does. It all looks so natural. He's not overthinking anything he can just trust his trust his skills and his game which he we've known for a long time now is there Mm. the the skills are there
2: yeah he's not in his own head in in the way that he is when he's returning on a on a hard court or, or a grass court uh and yet clay sort of draws out his his creative instincts on the court and he takes such big steps. He can cover cover the baseline so so easily with his movement. Um yeah, I was I was thinking this week a match I would love to see at Roland Garros is a full flight Dominic team which at the moment feels a little bit far off against a full flight Sitzer pass because I oh. I I've, I've, I've always thought of team as the real heir apparent on clay and the next one to win Roland Garros a handful of times perhaps after Nadal but Tsitsipas is, is showing a quality on that surface that is probably close to what to what team has delivered so I'd love to see those two go up against each other.
1: Mm. Just a little bit worried about Dominic Team because he was supposed to play in Belgrade this week and has withdrawn so that's a lot of clay court tennis that he's not playing and we know how much he loves to play. <laughs> Play court tennis. You know, if there was a way he could be there, he would. Um, so what about the the matches for Sit to Pass this week? Beat Rublev in the final. Very handily. Uh, 6-3, 6-3. For me, there was never really a moment where that felt in doubt. I don't feel like Rublev played badly. I just felt like to Pass was far superior, had far more options. He did make Rublev look one-dimensional, which for me, the best players. is can still do. Now, obviously, still a sensational week for Rublev. That was his first ATP Masters 1000 final. And he beat Rafael Nadal on clay en route there. That is a good week. But what? how are you feeling, David, about Andre Rublev now compared to a week ago? Are you feeling like he's shown you something new and different? Or do you... I know... (laughs) It feels harsh, doesn't it, to be talking about the negatives with Rublev, but has he shown his limitations once again, I suppose, is the question.
3: I would say he has shown me more, really, overall, because he's got to the final, he's beaten Nadal, and I think that that mentally is a, is an enormous achievement for him because he reveres these guys so much. I think of all the, all the players coming up, he's the one who strikes me probably had them on his bedroom wall and he looks like he probably still does well Uh, we've seen
2: we've seen photos of him in the nadal sleeveless mm, shirt haven't we?
3: yeah and and i think that that takes some getting over but i think in that match against nadal the other day what he did i remember talking about about it with you in relation to his matches against murray he's just like come on then come on then i'll take you on you and me toe to toe from the baseline let's see who wins and in those exchanges, he backs himself against pretty much anybody. And he he showed on that day. Okay, look, this was a well short of his best, Nadal. Obviously, it was, but toe to toe, Rublev can take on most players, just if it's about power and battering the ball, uh, ping pong style. He he's so good at it. His arm is so quick, and he picks it up so quickly. And he won. So he won that match despite the fact that Nadal was coming back at him. And then he backed it up in the next round and beat Kasparud, who's a heavy hitter on a clay court, a difficult player, and he beat him as well. So I, I think that that's clear progress for Rublev. Same time, in the final against... It feels a bit like Sitsipas has got his measure now. On the big stages, that's the French Open and on this this uh, this on this big final, that when it's really mattered, if Sitsa pass's game... Is at its peak. It's got too much, too many options for for Rublev. It can it can stop him being in that groove from the baseline. It can move him out of that ping pong type battle. Um, and and he he just looks bigger and stronger and and a better athlete, which is and he is all of those things than Rublev. And Rublev doesn't really have an answer to that. I think that's the issue.
1: But I'd, for me, that problem is not sit to pass specific. That problem is, I mean, sit, sit to pass was an extreme example of it yesterday because you're right, he did have his measure in every way. But that, I think, the best and most diverse players, that everything you've just said will apply to, you know. just
3: not many of them though.
1: No, but you'd think that over the next few years, there will be more. And we've talked about this Yo- even younger crop coming through, and how much variety they seem to have, how many options they seem to have at their disposal. We were talking about it with Alcaraz a week ago, weren't we? And his willingness to come forward. If, if those players, you know, did develop the way they could, then I, I yeah. do think he, he is going to confront a ceiling. I have, I love watching him play at his best. If he, if, he, if you're not on your game, it was, it was the absolute nightmare opponent for Nadal that day because Nadal was pretty awful really his competitive instincts to to hang in the match and take it into a decider were were glorious as they always are with Nadal but he was pretty awful I mean his, his serve was as bad as I've ever seen it really um, and Rublev's an absolute nightmare because he's just going to be there he's just going to be there and be coming at you re- regardless of what's going on down the other end of the court and that's exactly what he did um, but he he does have a ceiling. He he he. Look, he's never going to be he's never going to be a serve and volleyer. He's never going to be as comfortable an all court player as someone like Sittapass. I do feel like he could improve his defense. Perhaps it feels like if he's not on that relentless attack, he's he's in trouble. I don't know. What do you think, Matt?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I had the same question. Do I feel more positive about Rublev? at the end of this week or pretty much the same. And I I think I come down on the same side as David that ultimately I think he's shown us a little bit extra this week. I I thought when Nadal levelled that match that Nadal would probably win. I think Nadal was really poor at the start of the match but in in that middle portion and the start of the third set I thought he was playing okay. He was playing well enough to beat the vast majority of players in the draw and I would have thought well enough to beat the Rublev that I have in, in my mind. So I thought it was really impressive, as David said, that mental hurdle to overcome to beat Nadal and just the tennis he displayed. Um, I do think he's got a big a pass problem, especially on clay, and I do think that is a problem, as you said, Catherine, which does transfer to when he plays a lot of those top players on the biggest stages. But overall, i do do feel more positive about Rublev this week. It, it, it did felt, feel like he he made a bit of a step. Maybe not quite a big, giant step, but a little one. And I think for a guy who has been doing a lot of the same things all the time, just to see something a little bit different from him was was noteworthy, I think.
1: I spent a lot of that final just reminding myself that Rublev is older than Sitsa pass
3: Is he? He's a, year, he's a year yeah. older. Well, when they said that, that Sidsapas was 22, I did have to do yeah. a, a double take at that. that what?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I felt like Rublev, sh- at the handshake, he should have said, what are you eating, mate? Can I <laughs> Can I get in on that? Can we get on the same meal plan? <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: I- I'd like to see uh, another Sidsapas Djokovic at the French Open, but a springtime version. I would love to see that. Hmm.
1: Well, we, whatever you see, it'll be a springtime version.
3: Yeah, that's the good news. I want them to meet. I really think it could be. A
1: I, I mean, I want cracker. I want Sitsapas to meet a lot of people at the French Open. I feel like he's going to make good matches.
2: Yes. Mm. Where do we stand on the Nadal this week? Because <laughs> I thought people were really getting quite worried about Nadal the way he was playing I mean he said his serve was a disaster and his backhand was really bad and that was all true I mean to me he wasn't playing worse than he was at the start of the clay court season in 2019 overall okay the start of the match certainly was but he he did find something in that second set and maybe now I need to think there's a difference between Nadal on clay and Nadal at Roland Garros
1: Mm. I think so yep I think so too I sort of
2: have that image of Nadal at Roland Garros is just what Nadal is like all the time on clay, and he's basically an unstoppable force. But it, actually, the last two years he's worked his way up to his peak level on clay throughout the clay court season and sort of built strength and built dominance. And, and maybe it is sense more vulnerable with aging, now. doesn't it? I think it does. You're going to have more bad matches, mm. but his best matches, he's still by far the best.
1: And I do think a lot of that bad performance okay, the serve wasn't the only thing that was wrong. He did look a step slow to me. He looked slow back at the mark. He looked like he was struggling with something. But when your serve is off, it does affect the rest of your game. It, it is it is quite literally the foundation of your game, isn't it? So it sort of sends everything else out of kilter. And his serve was, was pretty woeful. I mean, for the first set, the serve was, as Nadal put it, a, a disaster. And that, is something that causes me kind of least concern. Like mm. I know Nadal can serve really well. Um I know that he will between now and Roland Garros fi- remember how to serve really well. One bad serving performance even another one that doesn't worry me s- so much. I I like he's he's going to get that back. Um and with it a lot- a lot else that was wrong with his game that will come back. I'm not necessarily backing him to to as a result mop up everything else on clay for the rest of this clay court season, but it doesn't shake any of my feelings yet about Roland garros um but you're right i it for some people it does there's been quite a lot of alarmed alarmed reaction about Nadal
2: mm. I've never seen him face palm so much in a match or spend as much time with his hands on his hips. Hands on hips. <laughs> he was he was
1: giftastic, he wasn't was. he?
3: <laughs> and shouting this a fair is, bit.
1: He was doing a lot of the expression that David's been doing at me for the for the <laughs> duration of this podcast. What can I say, David? To to soften your expression. Billy Jeans come and sat on my shoulder to try and no. try and help.
3: Well she's got her back to me at the moment.
1: <laughs> well she's she's there she is. She literally turned on cue there. <laughs> right, we've got David laughing. Um Dan Evans, David. Maybe this'll help. Dan Evans. Always semi finalist.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh dirt baller Dan is taking off. That's mm-hmm. that's big news. Brummy Borg has been mentioned. The Brummy Borg, we're a big fan of that. David, are you annoyed that you didn't come up with that? Quite, a bit yeah, that, actually, yeah. But, um, but
3: very well done to whoever managed that it's very um, good
1: but but for the sake of giving you the credit you deserve we here on the podcast will call him dirtball a hmm um, uh,
3: well he he um yeah he was fantastic and he got to the doubles final as well um but it was it was a heck of a run we covered the djokovic win a bit like with rublev backing it up and winning the next one mm. Is a is another significant achievement, really, especially for him on on not his favourite surface. Uh, but there's there's no reason why he can't repeat success on clay. I don't necessarily think it's going to happen every week. I mean, you've got a you're 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 playing at such a fine tuned level in order to get the balance right between. Rallying from the back and coming in, and it's such a combination that has to be perfectly balanced. It's not just this is my game; you're going to have it. You've got you've got so many decisions to make, and you've got to make them all at the right time. And and, and yet it was very interesting the way he'd discombobulated all of his opponents, and then he comes up against Sitsapas tries the same stuff, hits a couple of lovely lobs, and Sitsapas just shrugs them off like a superhero immune to whatever you're throwing at him. I mean, he beat him 6-2, 6-1. I know Evans might have been a bit tired, but look, Evans knew he was comprehensively outplayed. There was nothing he could do against him. He was playing a bigger, stronger version of himself who's just a better tennis player. And that's not to do Evans down. It's to it's to show... I mean, Evans, I think, really, r- player-to-player rates Sidsapass... Right up there, and and he actually said if if he could just bring serve, serve, some serve and volley into his game and learn how to do that properly, there really would be no stopping him.
1: Hypothetical uh, pole vault style question for you, David and Matt. I'm really crawling now. I'm desperately. You really trying... are trying to cheer me up. <laughs> <off, laughs> yeah, I you? really am. <laughs> um, Evans against Sittipas on grass. It's being played tomorrow. What happens?
3: I asked the man himself this. Oh, you
1: didn't. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I said, he, he said, uh, "He said, I, he said, he goes. I reckon he'd still find a way to beat me." <laughs> um, but would know, it be I mean
1: seven-five in the third?
3: I think I think Evans could beat him at the moment it, on on a given day on that surface. But I just feel like Sitsa Pass is going to get there on that mm. surface as well. I do too. But That's partly, why I said tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, partly because of his sheer love affair with the sport and desperation to be the best that he can be. He is going to be one of those players who will not leave anything hanging in his career. There will be no fruit that he doesn't mm. grab at some point if it's if it's vaguely reachable for him. Um, the the biggest concern with him sometimes is the, is the, what is it he called it, the self-explosion. Mm. By wanting it too much and ending up blowing a gasket mid-match and and being unable to focus but and, and I mean look the other thing is that there are commentators that talk about his technical failures on return of serve for instance on a, on a faster court like that or a low bouncing court which he's going to have to sort out and can you do that without bringing in a specialist coach that that's going to be interesting to find out over the over the, the future. I think what's
2: also interesting is the timing of the grass court season. If, if Sitsipas does have the clay court career that we're expecting him to have, he's probably going to be coming off deep runs at Roland Garros a lot of the time. And then it kind of becomes a question of how much are you really willing to adapt your game for the grass? I mean, Nadal did it, and I'm sure Sitsipas wouldn't want to leave any stone unturned. I'm sure he would give it a go. But I, I could see that potentially being difficult for him if he's had a very strenuous clay court season and then only a couple of events on the grass that's that's not a lot of time to really learn to make some quite big adjustments i think especially on return as you said
1: Mm, very good point um david one one last thing to cheer you up caspar Rood is quite good isn't he
3: yeah is. (laughs) are you
1: are you going to go back to picking him every week of the clay court season, regardless of where he is and who he's playing?
3: Well, after my uh, deserting of him this week, mm. when I ended up with uh, Djokovic, who then lost in second match, uh, well, may well do. Um, I, I was I was a little... I didn't get just to see the match with Rublev. I was a little surprised that Rublev beat him in straight sets. I know there were fairly close sets, but I haven't actually seen that match. Um, and again, I think that really is credit to Rublev uh, but i would imagine that rude is the sort of player that will have learnt stuff from that and be able to to improve next time i just think he's he's a, a perfectly formed clay quarter really and he's he's not quite dominic team but he's kind of got a bit of presence like team and I just think he's going to win a lot of matches mm. on the surface I, I'd be surprised if he goes this whole clay court season without winning one of these titles I don't mean Madrid or Rome but maybe another one that's in between mm. you know
1: the, it's funny with him there are there are portions of the season where I just sort of forget he exists and yeah. then, and then, like last week, I will watch a match of his and think, "Oh my god, how could I ever have forgotten that Casper Ruud exists?" He's well. That's the, the reaction I had last
3: year because he he is some players just are a completely different player on clay to what they are on everything else. Medvedev's the inverse of that, but Ruud on the other surfaces isn't is not particularly spectacular to watch, but on clay he's awesome.
1: Mm, so David's going to pick him every week of the clay court season.
3: Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right.
1: Uh, Charleston 2 has finished and the champion is the world number 165, the Australian Astra Sharma uh who fought back to beat Ons the top seed two six seven five six one in the final. And Ons had just waltzed her way through the tournament up until that point. I mean it just looked like she was head and shoulders above the rest of the field, after of course, Clara Towson uh was struck down by fate. <laughs> uh the mean, mean tennis gods and uh, had to retire um, in her quarterfinal match, I think, with a, a pretty nasty looking knee injury, actually, Taos and I'd picked for the title. And of course, had it not been for injury, definitely would have won it. Uh, but not to take anything away from Astra Sharma. <laughs> <laughs> um, the sixth WTA player this season to win a maiden title. She's a lovely story. She, this is her second WTA final. Uh, she'd lost out to Amanda Anisimova in Bogota in 2019, uh, in her previous final, she said that nerves got the better of her that day. Um, And after the final yesterday in Charleston, she said, this time I was a lot more calm and just held my nerve really well, especially with Ons playing such high-level tennis in the first set. I thought I did well to just reset in the second and keep making her come up with the same shots. So that was her best ever win by ranking over Ons Jabur and what a time... What a time to do it. What an amazing story, David. I think you watched quite a lot of Charleston too.
3: Yeah, I watched a, quite a bit of the final and we heard the press conferences and I found Astra Sharma just an interesting story because she's ranked 165 in the world and here she is in the final. And this is kind of, could be could be the, the, the life-changing moment in her career, really, because we we can often put aside, I think, in our conversations the importance of ranking and when you go down into the mid 100s that's all you ever hear tennis players talk about is what's my ranking this week am I high enough to get into x y and z tournament coming up and here she was talking about how she's not coming back to Europe now she's not going to play Madrid or Rome qualies because she just can't get in them and so she's going to carry on staying out in, in the States and play some some futures tournaments, um, which is, is a real come down from this sort of level. But that's what you have to do at that level. That's the problem. But this victory sends her from 165 in the world to 120 in the world. She's a player who had injuries in the early stages of her career and it kind of hastened her decision to go to college and and play american college tennis and she she was very successful at that level and now at 25 i think we're seeing a lot more players now just willing to trust that they've got enough years ahead of them in order to still make a really decent career of it even though they've they've gone to college um so massive moment for her quite interesting to hear her in the press conference she's got that kind of half sort of australian and american accent all in one because of the time she spent in in america um, and, um, I mean, look, she just sort of bulldozed her way to that title because there's no way Jabir should have lost that in terms of the tennis players you were looking at. And I just, my mind went back to the interview we did with Ans Jabir on this podcast a few months ago, where her, her sole goal really for the year was titles. And here she was in a final that she's supposed to win and she's a 6-2 up. And she loses the second set 7-5 and she doesn't win the title. I mean, that that is going to sting.
2: Yeah, I was watching that final kind of through an Ons Jabir lens because she's the player I know more about. She's the player I was expecting to win. And in that first set, I mean, she had it all going on. She was she was playing wonderfully. Drop shots, lobs, everything. Sort of the whole Jabur package was there. But I, I do think that sort of game star relies on you being quite relaxed and quite free with your tennis. And I had her words in that interview with David in my head while I was watching the match thinking, well, she told us how much she's, how much pressure she's putting on herself to win a title. I wonder if she does get a little bit anxious or nervous here. And if she does, will she still be able to play with that trademark freedom of hers? And I, I think she did get a little bit tight in the second set Sharma is an incredibly sort of neat and tidy tennis player consistent from the back of the court really nice sort of shape on her forehand that suits the clay I think and she made Jabir play a lot of shots and Jabir tightened up a little bit and also appeared to have some physical issues in in the third set she was hunched over a lot after a lot of the rallies whereas Sharma was much fitter and stronger down the stretch so I think there is a definite hurdle for Ons Jabeur to overcome. She's she's clearly got the game to be winning titles, clearly. But she needs to figure out a way to keep playing that free, inventive style of tennis, I think at the key moments. She doesn't strike me as someone who has a a sort of fallback option in her game. It's quite all or nothing. It's great when it's on, but I'm not sure it's conducive yet to playing her absolute best when it really, really matters in big matches.
1: Mm. Uh, 19-year-old Americans Haley Baptiste and Katie McNally won the doubles title in Charleston 2. Uh, they beat the Australians Storm Sanders and Ellen Perez 10-6 in the match time break. Storm Sanders and Astra Sharma, these are good names. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, Ellen, I mean Ellen Perez is 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 a good name as well but Storm Sanders, Astra Sharma they're they're producing good names in Australia
3: All the shout outs have gone haven't they really for the year pretty much but I'm kind of hoping we can figure out an extra show just to maybe give a couple of honorary shout outs use those names
1: Yeah Really, really good names. Um, that's a first double title for Baptiste McNally. It's her first double title, not with Coco Goff. Of course, they, they're, they're quite the pairing, uh, Katie McNally and, and Coco Goff. And they were, they were junior, um, Junior singles rivals, weren't they? I think they play, They might even have played a junior Grand Slam final against one another. So well done to Baptiste and McNally. We also had the ties taking place in the Billie Jean King Cup qualifiers over the weekend. Qualifiers to get into the playoffs. The playoffs for a place in the Billie Jean King Cup finals, which obviously was supposed to be taking place last week in Budapest. They've been postponed until date TBC uh, later in the year but this is the first incarnation of the Billie Jean King Cup under the name Billie Jean King Cup it might not be the finals and the big fanfare in Budapest we were supposed to be seeing but it is our first glimpse of the new incarnation of this of this tournament and uh, yeah there was lots going on um, I loved I saw sort of clips here and there of various different ties and just the hunger and the raw emotion or oh, it all just gets me. I only need to see a sort of 15 second clip of of that on Instagram which the um the tournament account was doing a great job of putting out there and it just oh it really really gets me. So what did we see over the week end of qualifiers Matt?
2: Yeah, so these are teams who will be trying to win a place in the 2022 Billie Jean King Cup Finals. The field is set for this year's tournament, whenever that happens. Eight teams who won this weekend will be trying to qualify for next year's finals. Um, Great Britain beat Mexico at the National Tennis Centre with Katie Bolter winning winning both of her singles matches and Heather Watson winning one. Canada beat Serbia. Uh, Leila Fernandez was was the star for Canada. She she won both of her matches against Olga Danilovic and Nina Stojanovic. And Rebecca Marino, who was a comeback story at the Australian Open this year. She also won her first Billie Jean King Cup rubber since 2011 to help Canada through. There was a very exciting tie between Kazakhstan and Argentina. Kazakhstan had Elena Rybakina playing for them for the first time and Yulia putin doing Yulia putin things. She came back from a set and a breakdown to beat Podoroska, and then in her second match, she was cramping and had to retire. And that tie went to a deciding doubles rubber, and Kazakhstan captain Yaroslava Shvedova played the deciding doubles rubber and won it for for Kazakhstan. So they won 3-2. Um, that's great that's really such a I just love those stories uh, Italy beat Romania 3-1 uh, Ukraine had had a very strong team they had Svitolina and Kostiuk and they beat Japan quite easily Latvia were full strength they had Sevastova and Ostapenko and they beat India 3-1 Poland beat Brazil 3-2 and the Netherlands beat China in a deciding doubles rubber uh, Kiki Burtons won her first match since last year's French Open but then actually had an Achilles injury that ruled her out of the second rubber, but a Rus and Demi Schurz partnered to win the deciding doubles. So as always, lots of interesting stories. And yeah, like you, I just love seeing the colors and just tennis felt so alive during those ties, even with limited crowds or without crowds, that team element, I should think was, was really nice for the players. It's, It's always a lonely sport tennis, but particularly at the moment and it, just seemed like they, they loved being back in a team.
3: Yeah, I thought the same just in a clip I saw of the Netherlands when they won theirs and Paul Harhaus and Kiki Burton's and the team were celebrating together and she poured champagne down down <laughs> his neck. And, and I just thought at that point, you don't, th- this is so different to the run-of-the-mill weekly tournaments and without a crowd, you can still have something here. Um, and yeah, we've really missed these team compositions more than any of the others, really, because the, there was no nothing last year. Um, the ATB Cup really wasn't the same this year as it was a year ago. Um, now the Billie Jean King Cup has been put back to the end of the year, and you know, it does feel quite a miss, mm. really. Um, and, yeah, just another of the things that tennis could do with having back. Mm,
1: yeah, Absolutely, well said and uh, congratulations to all those teams that made it through to the playoffs. Uh, We had a couple of bits of sort of news announcements this week. We had Roger Federer dropping a Roger Federer sort of mini bomb, uh, which is to say that his clay court season will consist of Geneva and Roland Garros and with the moving of uh, the French Open, a lot of people were wondering what that would mean for Roger Federer's clay court season. He had signalled his intention that he wanted to play on clay. But of course, we all know that it's all about grass and possibly the Olympics. If it happens, it's looking a bit more in doubt than it was. Um, And as much as he might want to play the French Open, I I don't think he's going to do anything to put the grass court season in in doubt. So, um, yeah, interesting that he is playing Roland Garros. Interesting that he's not playing Madrid or Rome. Interesting that he didn't even mention not playing Madrid or Rome in his announcement, which was just, you know, it was a tweet. It wasn't a a lengthy statement. Um, What do we think? What do we think about Roger Federer's mini bomb, David?
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised that he's playing Geneva ahead of Roland Garros now that Roland Garros has moved back. Uh, a week, you, you they don't have to be played back to back. It just sort of fits, I think, as a run in. The the more interesting one to me is the fact that Haller comes straight off the back of Roland Garros. So if he was to have a run in Paris, how how much is that going to encroach on 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 Haller? I mean, I think the truth is he probably just expects he won't have much of a run, uh, but he just wants to go and a experience it and enjoy it because i still think this could be his last year um so you don't want to you don't want to have your last year and not play Roland garros and secondly let's just get some timing and go and have a thrash you know thrash Mm. the thing around and see see if we can roll through some matches
1: i think it signals that in his mind he thinks it could well be his last year
3: Mm. yeah i think that would make
2: a lot of sense for why he's chosen To play Roland Garros. And Geneva. And Geneva, exactly.
3: In a Swiss tournament. Mm.
2: I mean, I remember in 2019 when he made his return to the clay, he spoke a lot about how much he felt playing on clay actually helped his grass court tennis.
1: Yes, that's true. That's when he invited Dan Evans to the mountains, wasn't it? Mm. To practice on clay.
2: And he said it just really helped his timing and feel on the ball. Hitting a lot of ground strokes ended up helping him ahead of the grass, whereas the season before he'd skipped the clay entirely and had a slightly underwhelming grass court season in 2018. So I think the decision to come back on clay is also with a view to the grass court season, if that makes sense, but mm, I, that's a very good point but I did think perhaps maybe he might try and get some clay court reps in pre-roll on Garros and then come in hard with Haller. Uh, on the grass, but he knows best.
1: Someone has typed in Kyle Edmund knee surgery to our agenda while we've been recording,
2: I think. Well it just suddenly came to me that it was <laughs> it was another bit of news this week. Sad I, news. I
1: know nothing about this. this passed me by, but I I'm gathering Matt that, that Kyle Edmund might be having knee surgery.
2: Yes. Uh he's he's had a knee problem for quite a while now and I think he's been holding off on surgery it sounds like he's decided that it's necessary. And I believe there's no sort of time frame on his return. It was just quite a while. I think I saw Russell Fuller saying that we'd probably be unlikely to see him at Wimbledon. Uh, so we're probably talking US hard court season, maybe when we'll see Kyle Edmund again. And I mean, he's another one who who I go long stretches forgetting about. And that, that mm. that's a really... That's a really sad and perhaps nasty thing to say, but it's the reality. He's just, he's just not a relevant force, not even just at the top of the game, in tennis at the moment. He doesn't play much, and when he does play, he hasn't been having much impact. And I think the knee injury is, is probably a big, big factor in that. So fingers crossed he can get it sorted once and for all and, and kick on. But obviously knee surgery comes with a lot of, lot of unknowns and uncertainties.
1: Mm, it's a long time for a young player to just be completely out of the conversation. Um, so we wish Kyle Edmund well. The WTA have announced or released their extended calendar for 2021, which takes us through uh, the summer basically through to the US Open Um and it includes 2 WTA 1000 events, 1 WTA 506 WTA 250 tournaments as well as an, an extended series of WTA 125 events as well. Um what have we got? I'd say I mean for me the biggest headline was the fact that uh Washington which was previously a combined ATP WTA um 500 level event, uh, Washington has lost It's a WTA sanction, and that is moving to Gdynia, Poland. How do we feel about that pronunciation? David, you're married to a Croatian, and as far as I'm concerned, that is the closest we're going to get to an authority here.
3: Yes, uh, yes. so (laughs) the husband of a Croatian talking about a Polish pronunciation is is what we're going to go with. Do I have your stamp
1: of approval?
3: Sounded all right to me, okay. Catherine, but Thank if anybody you. wants to get in touch and let us know, <laughs> do feel free. Uh, yeah, it's it's it provoked a little bit of chatter on Twitter. I saw Tracy Austin talking about the fact that just the sheer number of events that were based in America have left in the last few years and, you know, gone elsewhere and, and the, the game has thrived in other parts of the world and that's great, but it is also a bit of a concern, really, I think, that so many events in America are not are not around now. Mm. I
2: did see a good tweet from Ben Rothenberg stating that there's this weird quirk now that events that Jessica Pagula has reached the final mm. of have not been put back on the calendar ever again. So she reached her first OHA final in Quebec in 2018. That event was discontinued. She won Washington in 2019. It was a, was it a men's only event? No, it didn't happen last year at all, it did it? It didn't happen. And now it's a yeah. men's only event. And she also reached the final of Auckland in 2020. And that didn't happen in 2021.
1: Okay. It's hard not to take Great. that personally
2: yeah. <laughs> for, for Jessica Pergoula.
3: Bit of uh, WTA breaking news, by the way, uh, is that they've just announced that they're releasing a new live scoring app, uh, the WTA are. Um, But the final paragraph amuses me. Uh, In a continued effort to enhance the coverage and alignment of professional tennis for fans and the media, the WTA and ATP are excited to be working on an enhanced joint live scoring app due for release in early 2022 so we're finally going to go back to where we were a couple of years ago did then
1: it, did anybody want the it to be enhanced
3: well, I, I felt i felt they, like
1: it was appropriately enhanced
3: indeed and and they were joints before yeah weren't they so that was working it's going to be so enhanced maybe...
1: though david it's going to be joint and enhanced yeah yeah <laughs> Great. Well, that's something to look forward to in the distant, distant future. (laughs) Um, In the closer future, events happening this week. Uh, On the ATP side, we've got Barcelona that's got a very strong field. Nadal playing there. Rublev, uh, who says he took a wild card um, before his quarterfinal with Nadal in Uh, Monte Carlo assuming that he would be exiting Monte Carlo at the quarter final stage and would then have a few days recovery (laughs) and travel time to get to Barcelona and would be in have more appetite for getting matches on the clock Um, of course that didn't happen he beat Nadal he ended up reaching the final but he's thought I'll head to Barcelona and see how it goes anyway. Um, so he's definitely in the machine, like I'll just keep playing tennis phase of his career. Sitsabas
2: apparently is playing Barcelona as well. I mean, he didn't, as we said, he didn't expend that much energy no. in Monte Carlo. He won it pretty pretty. And handily. I suppose
1: they think there's nothing else to do, you know.
2: Mm. Well,
1: yeah. Uh, Fanini's playing there. Felix Auger, seem he's really an interesting one to watch, I think, this week with the Tony Nadal team up and how unimpressively that went in the one match that we saw him uh, play in Monte Carlo. Denis Shapovalov, where will he be on Stephen Malloy's Denis Shapovalov scale? Dan Evans is playing in Barcelona. Casper Rood, David will be picking him. Yannick? No, he's
3: not. He's just pulled out with a right arm injury. Oh. So, sighs of relief everywhere.
1: Well, for David that gets another pick, that... yeah. <laughs> um, oh right so Rublev sits a pass truck on to Barcelona Casper Rud pulls out Yannick Sin is playing uh, Lorenzo Mazzetti and Carlos Alcaraz that's a great it, field it is Gr- a
3: cool field isn't it
1: great field in Barcelona uh, Belgrade has got Djokovic obviously he's in, involved in the organisation of that tournament they were supposed to have Dominic Thiem so disappointing for for them to lose him Matteo Berrettini uh, and Aslan Karatsev is the number three seed in Belgrade on the women's side uh, WTA 500 event in Stuttgart this is the biggest event um, so far in the women's clay court season Ash Barty and Simona Halep are the top two seeds. Great. It's just—I know we've talked about it before—and we knew this was going to happen. But seeing Barty in these draws on European clay is just great. I just—I yeah. just love it. And knowing that Touchwood, injury permitting, she's she's going to stay there. You know, she's going to be a mainstay of that swing. Um, it's just brilliant. And Barty against Halep on clay—I want to see that.
3: Mm, really want to see that Um, they'd obviously
1: have to both make the final in order for that to happen but um, seeing those two names next to one another I suddenly realised yes give me that Um, and we've got Kvitova against Brady in round one and of course it's indoor clay in Stuttgart which is Kvitova's favourite
2: defending champion I think Kvitova Mm. Mm.
1: so what do you think are you going to pick Brady Oh, David, I has opened up a,
3: yeah, I don't know, a I window think of opportunity of for probably you. will, will take her out indoors. If it was outdoors, it'd go the other way. Um, a brilliant tournament that, by the way. I, I, I loved commentating on it because that has, that's one of those tournaments that punches above its weight. It just, they really put something into that. They put on a show, they make it innovative every single time. Um, and I, I, I just really enjoy it. And, it, and it is the only indoor clay court I think in professional tennis at the top level. Um, and by the way, Julia Gerges is being appointed as a social media roving reporter for the tournament this uh, this next week. I've seen her doing an interview with Simona Halep.
1: Sorry, I neglected that bit of news.
3: Yeah, she's re- she retired uh, of course of me. in last year, so uh, and of course new... it's a
1: tournament where they um, where they give out a car to the winner a Porsche no less unclear mm. whether the doubles champions also get <laughs> Porsches but um I think they should I think the Volvo Car Open has set a precedent and it would be poor of Porsche not to follow suit Agreed <laughs> I think that's just about it for our roundup of the week. Look ahead to next week. We'll be back on Thursday, as always. I know what you're all thinking. Catherine, you've waited 55 minutes before talking about the mascot this week. Um, Well, I'm going to give our mascot uh, their dues now. Um, This week's mascot is Selkie. Um, who's owned or was owned by Debbie. I'm very sad to say Selkie's no longer with us. Uh, she was a an 11-year-old black lab retriever, uh, which is a lovely, lovely dog. Um, Selkie apparently means seal in Gaelic, and they chose that name for her because her face had the look of a seal about it, um, which is just lovely. So, um, Debbie, I'm so sorry you've no longer got Selkie with you. I hope we can... Uh, do her justice by honouring her on the podcast this week. So thank you, Debbie, uh and Sulky. May you rest in peace in the great flower bed in the sky chasing chasing tennis balls. Uh we have mascots. Mine is Zeus. We're really gonna go for it this week, Zeus. It's been a shoddy start to the year. David keeps giving me pointed mentions of the graph. Um
3: <laughs> Which well in the absence of the, any we mentions, don't, we don't somebody's going about about
1: to mention it. Uh, but Zeus, yeah. we're really we're really going to give it a go this week. Uh, we need to David, who are you going to uh, be giving it a go on behalf well, of? R-
3: R- Rogue and I are going to confer and come up with a prediction for the week in the absence of Casper Rood yeah. and in the inevitable loss of Jennifer Brady. So we'll we'll f- we'll figure it out. St- stay tuned,
1: Matt.
2: Scousel Mousel and I will be picking a winner from Stuttgart this week.
1: I'll probably be going Stuttgart as well, Zeus, as if you're on the edge of your seat. Uh, Billie Jean King <laughs> is uh, the sponsor of Billie Jean, who's uh, had a lovely walk this morning. She's refusing to eat anything that resembles dog food and will basically only eat chicken. So that's the development in Billie Jean world. She's uh, taking me for a total mug. Uh, Chris Albert-Lee is our executive producer and he's a top bloke. Hello, Chris. And Matt, we have shout outs. Who are they for? Susan Quinn. Another Dr. Quinn medicine woman (laughs) reference. Hello, Susan. See everything I said in previous episode about Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. What a great we show that a was. a tennis
3: player called Susan. I can't think of a tennis player with the first name Susan. Mm. Suzanne?
1: Sue, Sue Barker. Was she a Susan?
2: Mm. don't know.
3: We'll have to look into that. TBC. Uh,
2: Philip Harris. Raphael.
1: Hello, Philip. Uh, Philip Kohlschreiber is a tennis player. hope he's not related to my ex-boyfriend with the surname <laughs> Harris. There were lots of Harrises. It's unlikely. Yep. Next.
3: <laughs> Cheers, Phil. <laughs> Thanks a lot for your support.
2: And finally, Trisha Fitzgerald. Oh wow!
3: I bet, bet Tricia is a uh, used to be a junior tennis player in Australia with a name like that.
1: Imagine having the same surname as F. Scott Fitzgerald, <laughs> the
3: incredible. So I was thinking. Author. I was thinking of John Fitzgeralds oh or yes i
1: see what you've done there thank yeah. you to all of you for your support of the tennis podcast we'll be back on thursday tell your mates leave an apple podcasts review uh follow us on twitter and instagram it's mostly dog material but who who, who doesn't want that uh and we'll be back on thursday we'll speak to you then <laughs>